Hey friend, thanks for listening to the Fixate Phoenix podcast. We are praying that you are blessed by this week's message. If you would like to partner with the future of Fixate, you can visit fixatephx.com slash give. Amen. So we've been in a series here called uh, Holistic Habits. And for some of you guys who you haven't been here before, essentially what we're talking about is habits that have the whole of us. And so the habits that have the whole of us, this really came from a passage in Leviticus. And I've said this every week, but I think this is my last week of holistic habits. I think it is. Um, I've said this every week where in Leviticus, if you actually research um, as the, tr- the Levitical tribe is, is blessed and, and, and kind of elevated into the place of um, contending for the people and carrying on um, the, the procedures of the temple. It says that they are holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, devoted to God. And I love that because I think a lot of the times, like if I were to ask you, like, how holy do you feel, right? A lot of us would be like, whoa, holy, you know, that it's kind of a, a high bar. But when we talk about holiness is it really starts in Levitical people in that day and age were the holiest people is what it really starts with is the whole of us devoted to him. And in that place, we start to become holy. And so what I want to talk about today specifically is the holistic habit of repentance, repentance, the holistic habit of repentance, because I believe for some of us that maybe we had a, a, a salvation encounter with Christ early on where we repented of our former life. We repented of things that we had done wrong. We repented of, of, of sinful behavior. And then we accepted God's grace and forgiveness and invited his Holy Spirit and, and Jesus into our hearts to lead and to guide us going forward. But we forget that actually that invitation to repent Repentance is a lifestyle. And I've said this in previous weeks. See, faith is a free gift, but beliefs are developed. And I believe a lot of the times, right, is we sit here and we say, okay, I have faith in God. I have faith in his son. I have faith that he paid for my sins. But then developing belief system around that gift of faith now takes on the level of discipline or discipleship we sign up for. I remember one of the earliest instances of repentance where I stood on my own two feet was I was, uh, I got a job landscaping when my family first moved from California to Michigan. Many of you guys don't know our, me and my wife's story. We are actually from Michigan and moved here uh, to plant this church in downtown uh, a little over a year and a half ago. And I remember when we were, when I was in Michigan, I, I had, I've always been a little bit of a grinder. And what I mean by that is I, I always love to work. I've always enjoyed that aspect. I, I love the grind of doing things. And, and I remember growing up, literally my family has a joke. I, I made a shirt when I was like six years old and wrote on the back, the working dude and went door to door in my neighborhood asking if people had any jobs that I could do to raise, make some money. Right. So literally to this day, it was like I had white jeans, a white shirt, and that's because my dad was a painter and wore both white. And then I wrote the working dude on the back. It's like, what can a six-year-old do? It's like, hey, can you take out the trash? Oh, it's bigger than you. No, you can't even do that. And so I remember early on, I was like, okay, I'm... When I moved to Michigan, I was, like I said, about 11 or 12 years old. There was a guy in our church who owned, who had a landscaping company who took care of a lot of elderly people in the community, and he paid all of us $4.50 an hour. 
Now, I, I'm 31, so just in case you were wondering if I was in my 40s. Um, so back then, $4.50, when you were at, you know, with my parents, I was like, dang, like we're rolling in the dough. It's like I went to the gas station, burned my entire paycheck on like a 12-pack of Mountain Dew and three bags of chips. Um, but I remember I was, I was so excited to get to work, and so early on what would happen is he actually had a, a house that was right on Lake Michigan, so in the summer times we would work, then we'd go to the beach. And I remember early on, I used to look forward to these Saturdays where I would work and then go to the beach with all my, with my friends who, who worked with them, who became friends of mine. And then one day I remember we were playing football on the beach and he had a really nice football and I loved football growing up. I thought I was going to play professionally, but I ended up not being able to because I was 140 pounds and ran a five second 40. Um, <laughs> But I, but I remember I was, we were all playing football. We went up to the house and I remember looking at all my friends. Some of you guys are like, this is a really random story. You'll see I'm going somewhere with this. I remember I looked at all my friends and I said, hey, who brought the football? And I knew it was a nice football. It was, it was you know, one we'd played with. And we were going to try and play catch in the yard. And people were like, oh, we, did, we don't have it. And I was like, oh, we must have left it at the beach. So I run down to the beach. It's not there. And I'm immediately like, oh, gosh, like, this is my boss. Like, I lost this football, like all this stuff. And my 12-year-old brain is like, the world is going to end. So what happens is without telling him, I end up getting paid that day and going and buying a football. And the next week, I came back with a football and a piece of paper that said, hey, Jim, you may not have noticed, but I lost your football. And this one I bought and replaced uh, and just wanted to give it back to you. Now, what's interesting is I, I, I was 12 years old at the time. Now, probably when I was about 25 or 26, I actually grew up and was working in youth ministry. And I would send Jim kids to work for him. And I'll never forget that one day I got a picture text. Text message with a picture. Wow, picture text. Like, what, what am I even saying? Like, what is it, 1804? Oh, And I'll I'll never forget it because this person said, hey, Jim still has your note. And every time he hires somebody, he gives it to them as an example of responsibility. And it's funny because even to this day, that note is still handed out almost 20 years later, in which I just took basic responsibility for losing a football and bought a new one. But it's so interesting to me because something that small and that significant where I admitted like, hey, I, I lost this. Let me make sure I take care of it was such a moment for him that it became this teaching element of if a 12 year old can do this, we all can. But more than that, and I don't tell you that story for you to be like, wow, you were so spiritual at 12. I wasn't. I was not. <laughs> But I tell you that story because I think a lot of us, we don't understand that repentance, admitting we're wrong, admitting we need help, admitting that that we need the grace of God or just that we're sorry. Those things are so rare today that when done properly can incite such a revelation on people that they never forget the character in which you possess. And I pray today that we are not so strong in our beliefs, so dogmatic in who we are, that we cannot repent. That we don't carry a lifestyle where when we make mistakes, we say we're sorry. That when we stumble into sin, we don't cry out and say, God, take this from me. 
Now, the reason I'm saying all of this early is because I actually want to come at repentance from a different light today. And really, it's from the word, right, metanoia, if you research the word repentance. But more than that, metanoia means to change one's mind for the better, to heartily amend with one's past sins. But what I want to focus on strategically in the beginning is this, to change one's mind. You know, I... uh, I will say, for the most part, I feel pretty good with where I'm at spiritually in terms of if I maintain my habits, my rhythms, my disciplines, my lifestyle, for the most part, I can stay on the, the, the straight and the narrow. But I'll tell you this, one place where I can't is in traffic. Some of y'all are like, how deep are you willing to go on this? I'm willing to go deep. And it's funny because recently I was writing this sermon like in the last week and a half and I, I, my wife always in the car next to me, whenever I start melting down is just looking at me like, why are you a demon possessed man? <laughs> and I won't say that I've put my car in park on the 17 and gotten out and yelled at people, but I will say there's a probability it's happened. <sighs> now, now what's funny is this, now that person deserved it. <laughs> But what I will say is this, recently as I was, I remember I've been having these moments of repentance where I'm like, okay, God, like, I'm sorry I did that. I need to be better and not become just completely unhinged when I get cut off. And I'm like saying these things and I remember writing this sermon and this week, I remember writing this sermon and this week I get cut off twice within like 45 seconds, just brutally. (laughs) And And I'm starting to bubble up my righteous anger. And I'm just like, oh, God, sorry, I got like that. And I remember the Lord said, oh, no, you're not, because you haven't changed your mind yet. And I remember, I'm writing this sermon, right? Metanoia, the word repentance, to change one's mind. And I'm sitting there saying, God, I'm sorry I did that. And God's like, no, you're not. You didn't change your mind yet. And that imagery, I'll never, I was like so convicted in my car. I'm like, wow, okay, I guess I am literally preaching to my holy self. But I do believe that today, when we talk about repentance, do we include, have we changed our mind about the behavior? Because I believe for a lot of us, what we don't realize is we're saying, God, I want your grace. God, I want your forgiveness. God, I want to change. But I'm not willing to change my mind. I'm not willing to think differently. I'm not willing to be self-aware enough to say, all right, God, I'm sorry I did that and I'm not going to do it again. Help me be better. And what I want to talk about, and and the reason most of this um, comes from the passages that we're going to read, but I just wanted to say this to you, is there's actually a passage of Scripture where it talks about what happens when we are willing to maybe confess sin in a moment, but not change our minds and behaviors after we confess sin. And what I mean by that is sin is this inhibitor of heaven and earth in which the relationship that we are allowed to have sin provides these barriers and roadblocks. And what happens is is, is these barriers and roadblocks are consistently put in between maybe the voice, the sensitivity, or the presence that we seek to feel doesn't necessarily come on as strong anymore. 
As we continue to choose something that we shouldn't choose, as we continue to prioritize something that is detrimental to us, as we continue to do things that we shouldn't do, we continue to place roadblocks up and wonder why we don't sense his presence. Then as we repent, what happens is is these roadblocks are removed, but they're only removed if we have the mindset of God, change my mind about the removal and why it's important. Change my mind about why I need to do this and walk out in this direction. Change who I am. And it's interesting because in Matthew, I'm just going to reference it, Matthew 11, 20 through verse 21, Jesus renounces cities in which he has seen people repent but not change. He's seen people receive the gifts of his healing, his mercy, and his grace. Receive the gifts of seeing the miraculous take place in their midst, yet not renounce. And he literally says, woe to you. If I would have done these works anywhere else, people would have wholeheartedly changed. But your wholeheartedness that you think is not wholehearted. Metanoia, change your mind. Repentance. God, change my mind. And this comes from two passages, and all I'm going to do is break these things down because I think they're so important. Because at the end of Malachi, going into the book of, the book of Matthew, what we see is there's about 400 years, scholars believe, of prophetic silence. And what I mean by that is the voices that have so guided and been the guardrails of the nation of Israel no longer are becoming that as they've been, as they've been shrouded in kind of wickedness and disobedience. So there's this huge silent period that happens until John the Baptist pops up on the scene. Now what you need to realize is John the Baptist precedes Jesus as this messenger of who is to come. But what's fascinating about John the Baptist is that his sermon was repent. It's all about repentance. The very first sermon John the Baptist preached, the very first words coming out of his mouth, repent. And we're going to actually read these. It says this in Matthew 3, verses 4 through 10. It says, Now John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. And his food was locusts and wild honey. How many of you guys have that John the Baptist diet? It's a new fad. Locusts and wild honey. Could you imagine? I feel like there's going to come a day when people walk up and they're literally eating locusts and honey. You're like, oh, the John the Baptist. (laughs) We already know people are dressing in camel's hair and leather belts. That's pretty basic. Then it says this, then Jerusalem was going out to him and all Judea and the district around the Jordan River. And they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River River as they confessed their sins, as they're repenting. But when he saw many of the Pharisee and Sadducee coming for baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath that is to come? And this is, is the foundational verse I want you to stand on today. Therefore, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. If I walked up to you and like, hey, what spiritual fruit are you like seeing in your life? Right? A lot of us would be like, well, that's a really weird question to ask. But a biblical response would be, well, I'm keeping with repentance. And in that place, I know I'm bearing fruit. Think about that. I keep with repentance. And I know that it bears fruit in my life. 
Let's continue to read. It says this. And do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham for our father. For I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. The axe is laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I think a lot of us do not understand the symbolism of John the Baptist. Okay, we read and we're like, okay, all of Jerusalem is emptying to come see him. All of Judea emptying to come see him. The areas around the Jordan River emptying to come see him. Why is this? See, John the Baptist, his repentance, the repentance that he's preaching is different in essence than anything that has ever been read before. Why is this? John the Baptist is a Levite, right? He's born to Zechariah. He's born, and, his, and if you look at specifically his story, his, his dad is a high priest. That is literally the highest status you can have is to live in the Levitical order raised to become a high priest. What does John the Baptist do? He goes to the wilderness. Think about this. We do not have any recollection of these Levites literally leaving the high priestly line to just go into the wilderness. Now we know Isaiah and Jeremiah, these prophetic voices. But back then, this is completely uncommon. Hundreds and hundreds of years, we haven't just had these guys leave and completely rely on God in the desert, leaving behind the right of being a high priest. And then from that place, lead a movement of repentance. But the repentance is not normal repentance because it's repentance accompanied by baptism. Why is this, sig- why is this symbol significant? In Jewish custom and culture, right, you didn't go to the temple and be baptized. It was a part of the traditional upbringing of a Jewish child in which you became of age. You would wash yourself. It was not an assisted washing. It was you would wash yourself. And in washing yourself, you were symbolizing that you are ready to step into your adulthood and maturity as a believer by washing away everything else and stepping into that. So what we're seeing is there's this second baptism that is not only just a baptism, but it's being assisted by somebody. Jewish culture, this doesn't happen. So he's preaching repentance, right? Which for a lot of people are like, okay, essentially what he's doing is he's setting the table that your one time a year repentance at Passover or your, when you go to the temple, no, you can have this moment where you repent and start to have eyes that understand the kingdom is coming. So let's keep reading because once again, Luke 3 verses 3 says this, And he came into all the districts around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. What's John the Baptist doing? His number one message, repent. Repent. Remove the roadblocks. Remove the things that will not allow your eyes to see the kingdom that is about to come. Remove the things that are in front and blocking what you're able to perceive. Remove and change your mind. So John the Baptist starts this thing and this is just gaining an undue following, right? Nobody can understand. So the Pharisees and Sadducees are coming out because they cannot believe the crowds and the message that he's preaching. And then Jesus comes onto the scene. 
So Jesus shows up, and what's interesting, many of us recognize the Sermon on the Mount is the first kind of structured sermon that Jesus gives. But right before it, Matthew 4, 12 through 16 and 17, it says this. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been taken into custody, he withdrew into Galilee. This is right after he's been tempted in the wilderness. And leaving Nazareth, he came and settled in Capernaum, which is by the sea. 14. This was to fulfill that what was spoken through Isaiah the prophet. The people who were sitting in the darkness saw a great light. And those who were sitting in the land of shadow of death upon them a light dawned. Verse 17. From that time on, Jesus began to preach and say, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What I'm trying to kind of build here is this idea and understanding that John comes first breaking through this religious, like, redundancy of a hundred years. Okay, you sin, go to the temple, offer sacrifice. Okay, you sin, go to the temple, offers hundreds of years of this. And then John shows up and says, no. I need us to understand the gravity that we need to change our minds from the sins that we continue to do in order to understand that we will be able to see something coming that you will want to see. Then Jesus, what happens? John's ministry ends as he's arrested for standing up to Herod. And Jesus, after coming out of the wilderness, then steps onto the scene and instead of saying, repent, for the kingdom is coming, is now saying, repent, for the kingdom is here. And I want to challenge you in this regard, because I think a lot of the times, what we don't realize is that our repentance is for us to see God's kingdom on this earth. When you change your mind about living in this world, you start to see a world that is not of it. There's another passage, Mark 1, 14 through 15. It says this. Now, after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Repentance at its core is not about your behavior being changed. Repentance at its core is you looking and saying the gospel is worth my behavior being changed. The gospel, Jesus' sacrifice, is worth all the personal sacrifice on this earth. Because I'm telling you, when we seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, the all things start to be taken care of. When we start to develop the character behavior, habits, and disciplines of Jesus, we start to live and experience the things that Jesus lived and experienced. Another thing that I uh, think is fascinating as it pertains uh, to, to John the Baptist and Jesus' symbolism in the Old Testament, the Levites, right, you can look at it with the, the line of Samuel, Samuel anoints with oil Saul. He then anoints with oil David. And then through 2 Kings and Chronicles, we see that every time a kingship, a new king would arise, there would be a, a Levite that would come in and anoint with oil the king. 
Now what's interesting is for hundreds of years this kind of has ceased to exist as the Roman Empire has risen to overtake. But what's fascinating is this, and I loved this, I was reading this in a commentary, is that as John is a Levite, he has the power to anoint. But his anointing is not of oil, it's of baptism. And there's this new anointing that takes place as people repent and are baptized. And this anointing is into the fact of being of kingship and sonship. And I want to challenge you in this is have we repented, changed our mind, and then been baptized into that kingship and sonship and the symbolism of what they possess for us? And more than anything today, what I want you to understand and what I want you to think about is, are we people of true repentance in which when we repent, we change our minds? And not only that, we change our perception of the entire subject matter and place it in submission to the word of God and the spirit of his truth and grace. I want to challenge you because I think a lot of the times repentance is this thing that we use and hope that it's just something that can reconstruct or provide reconciliation. And God is saying, no, this is a gift of awareness of the need to change your mind. No longer is this about, okay, God, just absolve the sin and receive the grace. It is no God. When we pray prayers of repentance... We pray prayers of God, change my mind, change my perception, change my understanding of this behavior and this habit, change it. That is the foundation we're talking about today. So what I want to do with my just remaining couple moments is talk about how we live out repentance that fulfills. You know, I love saying the word fulfillment today because I believe that this in Scripture is the thing that is most missed, is the idea that God truly wants to fulfill you. Not just fill you with Him, but provide a fulfillment that you can carry into your work, into your family, into the rigidness and and sometimes even the overwhelmedness of this world to carry this fulfillment of saying, okay, I maybe am not doing what I thought I'm doing, but I know that I'm carrying something I never thought I could carry. And in that place, God births an identity in you. And I think a lot of the time, see, if I were to ask you the question, how fulfilled are you? That's something that maybe we struggle with. When we're laying on our pillow at night wondering, God, are you there? Do you see me? Do you have a plan? It's not an issue of if those things are true. It's an issue of sensing the fulfillment of his presence. And I believe that repentance, what it does is it changes the mind to allow the filling to switch to fulfilling. So what I want to do is I want to talk about how we live out repentance that fulfills the first thing. The more comfortable your repentance is, the less power of transformation and reconciliation it possesses. It's sad today that most of the time we think about repentance, we think about half-hearted attempts to make right something that was wrong. Not a level of depth, accountability, and change-mindedness that contorts and, and transforms your reality in something different. See, that idea of repentance is not something where it's like, okay, God, help me. 
And see, some of us, we've been stuck in habitual habits and addictions in which we repent and do, repent, do, repent, do. And some of us are wondering, well, why is that? It's because you haven't actually truly understood that what you're doing is not for you to say a prayer and hopefully feel better. It's for you to say a prayer of commitment to your mind being changed. I want to read really quickly James 5:16 and listen to this because I want you to understand the level of uncomfortability behind this. Cuz we read this and it's like, "Oh, this is a good passage." But it's like, this is super uncomfortable if we live it out. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Now, how many of you guys know, right? It's easy to confess your sin. Not easy. It's difficult to confess your sin to somebody who you've wronged. But to just confess your sin. Now, how many of this week, you know, you just pulled a friend aside and said, hey, man, I've just been sinning in these areas. Right? Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. Fulfillment as it pertains to repentance is all about if you're just doing comfortable repentance, you're just going to have, in all honesty, a shallow understanding of the freedom God has for you. But if you really want to change, you'll confess those sins to somebody and say, pray for me that my mind is changed and I am healed of what I'm requesting. See, that's another level of repentance. And I would even say today, if you're somebody and you're saying, man, I don't even know anything about Jesus. I know nothing about this context of following God. At the end of the service, we'll have people up here who can talk with you about that and lead you in that. But it's from the place of God. I repent. I change my mind. I confess to a brother. I'm prayed for, and not only that, I'm stood around, and I now take ownership of the fact that my mind must be changed. And I would say this to you. Richard Rorty says it best. Truth is whatever your peers will allow you to get away with. Get around peers who won't allow you to get away with things. And you might find that you have some transformation and reconciliation that you've never had before. The second thing is this. Repentance is about humility and teachability. God will birth humility through humiliation and teachability through trial if you're not open-minded to change. I'm going to read that again. God will birth humility through humiliation and teachability through trial if you're not open-minded to change. Humility and teachability is we can receive but not only receive We can be taught, but not only just taught, we pursue transformation. From the place of being able to receive, we don't just go, wow, that was really good what you said to me. Or, oh, that was really good and made a lot of sense. But God, what does this mean? And how do I walk out changing? When it comes to repentance, it's, God, I am repenting, turning, changing my mind. Keep me humble and teachable to walk these things out. Surround me with people who will hold me accountable so I don't live in the humiliation and the trial because I wasn't humble and teachable. The last one is this. How many showers do you take a week? I'm going to let, I coughed right into that. 
I mean, that cough's been there for like 15 minutes. <laughs> it was terrible too during COVID when I was preaching. I would always, if I ever coughed, I would just be like, hey, I don't have it. <laughs> How many showers do you typically take a week? We take regular showers to wash, yet we don't make repentance regular to wash our souls. See, you notice when people don't shower just as much as Christians, we notice people who won't repent. And I want to say this to you today. If you're a Christian who doesn't have the habit and the behavior of repentance, I promise you this. There is a level of stink that you will carry. Because I'm going to tell you this. We all have things that we need to change. We all need things. We all have stuff that we need to get away from. We all have things that we're working through. We all have a stink about this fallen world that repentance again and again and again washes us clean. And just as much as showers are needed to wash the outside, so repentance is needed to wash the inside. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. He's faithful to cleanse. He's faithful to break out all that unrighteousness, that shame, that condemnation, that negative self-image. If we're willing to confess it and seek repentance from it, he's willing to replace it with something good. But it starts with repentance. You know, many of us are familiar with um, the events that are happening even in Kentucky at Asbury and I think here at our church, as, I, as I've been processing and, and, and really... Um, seeking the Lord on kind of our next directions. See, we've always been a place, even from our beginning days, where we have sought prayer and worship. Where we have sought a dependency upon prayer and worship, prayer and worship, prayer and worship. Just this locomotive that we keep shoveling coal into. But typically what I see in history is God meets not only prayer and worship, but repentance with great outpouring. And I believe a lot of us, we're all about prayer, we're all about worship, but we need to be equal parts about consistent repentance. And I'm telling you this is in that place, I believe there's a window of heaven in which the sunlight comes down onto us and we fertilize and grow things we never would worship, prayer, repentance, redundancy. And as you look at the behaviors and the habits of that place, it's actually funny. I was in, me and Grace were talking about it last night. The man who preached the message that, of the chapel service that never ended, we never realized, is a friend of ours. <laughs> and it's great because it, what I love about movements of God is they're never really known. They, they shouldn't be about being known. They shouldn't be about, you know, the, the, the brand building or the idea of success. They shouldn't be about anything. It should be nameless and faceless. But what it always has, prayer, worship, repentance, prayer, worship, repentance, prayer, worship, repentance. See, a lot of us were wanting more of God. Prayer, worship, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Let's stand to our feet.
If you're familiar with our habits and behaviors here, you know that I like to type out a prayer of this message and read it over the congregation. So whatever your posture of receptivity is, whatever that is, I pray that this meets you where you are. God, today, would you give us a heart of repentance? Give us a spirit that longs to be washed of its sins. To be open-minded to the change you want for us. That is sensitive to your spirit and to your word. God, may it never be said of us we would not admit our wrongs. That we didn't have a lifestyle of repentance that then bore fruit. Oh God, you have given us the gift of sin recognition through awareness of your word, spirit, and deep community that will not allow our iron to grow dull, but rather pursues iron that sharpens iron through a mind that is open to change. May we be the ones willing to go first, willing to say when we have made mistakes, that we may confess, pray, and receive healing. Oh God, we confess and know you are faithful and just to forgive and cleanse. God, today we renounce any hold of sin on our lives. Our minds are not just open and willing to change. They are resolute in seeking and implementing change that produces greater intimacy and awareness of you. May it be said of us, may it be said of this house, We are people of worship, people of prayer, and people of deep, deep repentance. In Jesus' name, amen. As we go into worship, I I just feel a sense to do this. If you're needing a time of just repentance right now, whether that's in your seat or up front, you are welcome to do that. I feel like this word, there are people who God's saying, I want you to change your mind today. 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 And this invitation is the first step to saying, God, I want to change my mind from sin, from shame, from addiction, from bondage. I want to change my mind. So as we worship, whether that's you in your chair or whether that's you coming forward and just kneeling here, it's from the place of God, change my mind. Remove the obstacle and remove the barrier. And in doing that, give me a glimpse.